Counter the latest internet sensation. Now, I heard some kids in there before. Can you go, mate? We are toot toot. Seb Costello looks a bit like the Monopoly man. I saw Seb and he ain't in an upright position, I can tell you that. Six. I had the best sparring, like, ever. I was going to be best during the fight. Good morning, Seb, and good morning to all your listeners. Weekend Breakfast with Seb Costello on Triple M. Welcome to the weekend. We are into November and there's a smile on everybody's face because overnight the Aussies have put on a beautiful display. It can only be described as pure entertainment. Sitting down on the couch around prime time, 7, 8pm, sitting there and watching runs be made for Australia again and again and again. Usman Kawaja, terrific effort from him, but the evening Melbourne time belonged to the vice-captain. David Warner. Oh, Warner straight away. And that will race along this outfield. Gee, that's a good start. 15 for David Warner. What a clever stroke. That's all he needs. A third century in a row for David Warner. Over the top. Did not move Dave Warner and didn't need to. The crowd will love that. As will his teammates. Calm as you like, he's past 150 again. Down he goes. Oh, it's long. Very long indeed. Out of the blue. He hits a six down the ground at the wacker. Dave Warner, 199. Make that 200. He wanted 200. He's delivered 200. He keeps raising the bar. And he keeps raising his bat. What a terrific effort by David Warner. 244 he will resume on today, making the Kiwis look very, very silly. Bit of a history lesson. After career 84 innings as a Tets batsman, let's go through the number of centuries that have been made by some of the greats of the game. After 84 innings, Brian Lara had made 10 centuries. After 84 innings, Tendulkar had made 12 centuries. After 84 innings, David Warner has made 15 centuries, which gives you an idea of just how extraordinary this man is at the moment, and I'm loving every second of it. It's history being made. You sit back and you watch David Warner do what he does best. The form he is in is extraordinary. But I was getting a few texts last night as we sat on the couch, a bit of banter between the boys from some people who weren't so impressed. It seems that some people don't like the one-sided domination. Me, I love it, but some are after a contest. One triple three five three. Give us a call or send us a tweet at Seb Costello nine. What do you prefer to watch? Complete Australian domination, like myself, or are you more of a fan of a tight, hard-fought contest? What are you more likely to watch? Coming off the Twitter already, the great Erin Molan, Channel Nine colleague up there in Sydney, who knows everything about sports. She says on the Twitter. Contest every time, but a contest won by Australia. Well said, Aaron. I think that's a nice way of uh, having it, having everything. Matty Mitchell, contest all the way. There's no greater victory than a hard-fought victory. Thanks for that. And Billy Hodges, a contest every time. So fairly one-sided at the moment, but give us a call. one triple three five three. What do you prefer, total Australian domination or a tight contest, of course, in which the Aussies get up? It was terrific yesterday, and it was history being made. I'm sure you've heard the stats. David Warner... 244 not out is the second highest amount of runs made on day one of a test. The bloke who is number one on that list, Sir Donald Bradman. You may have heard of him. He made 309 on the opening day of the Leeds test in 1930. Fairly rarefied air to be a part of for David Warner if the Don is the only one who is knocking you off. Out of Dufton, Ralph, good morning. 
Yeah, good morning, Sam, mate. Mate, I am sensational because David Warner entertained me perfectly on the catch last night. What do you reckon? Do you like a bit of domination or a contest? Mate, that was just awesome to watch. I love the domination of the Australians over the Kiwis, especially the Kiwis because it's a payback for the World Cup, mate. Absolutely. Well said, Ralphie. The All Blacks got us and they got us fairly well a couple of weeks ago over there at Twickenham. And now we are serving it back and we're serving it with some hot sauce on top and no drinks to calm it for the Kiwis. They've just got every little bit of chilli reverberating around. Have I extended this metaphor to its extremity? I'm getting a nod there from the hyphen who pushes the buttons on this program. Let's go down to the mighty southeast and Karim Downs. Matthew, what do you prefer? Yeah, I love to watch the contest, but you must say um, McCallum's tactics were terrible. Two balls in and the second over from Trent Bolt. He put the fielder down to deep point. He's setting fields to bad bowling instead of allowing his bowlers to get into a rhythm. Might, be, might have been a different contest by then if he allowed his bowlers to do what they do best and he just didn't show faith. Mate, thank you for your call. I like Matthew. When the Triple M cricket coverage gets going, you might use him as a bit of an analyst. I like it. You have to say, I you know watched a fair bit of it and the field placement may not have been so appropriate, but you can't fault the Kiwis for the fielding they were doing. I mean, they were chasing every ball down. There were a lot of saves at the boundary. Of course, you can't save it when Davey Warner is hitting it well over the fence and into the stands, which he did on a number of occasions on the way to that double century, his first ever. On Twitter, Brad, got to be a one-sided game. It's good to watch a team in action. I tend to agree with you there. Dave Cameron, nothing wrong with first day domination. Just as happy if we bowled them out in a day. Exactly. Domination goes both ways. Although with the willow, it's almost just a little bit more entertaining than when it's with the ball. Because you just see the demoralising expressions start to form on Kiwi faces and they start to wish they were back home in Wellington or they were playing rugby because they just can't do anything about this pair of David Warner and Usman Kawaja. One triple three five three. keep your calls coming in. And speaking of Usman Kawaja, he reckons that his partner, Dave Warner, is capable of anything when play resumes today. You know what, I think Davey's, I think Davey probably be thinking about 250 first and then 300, but yeah, if anyone can do it tomorrow, it's probably him. He'll get 250 with a six off the first ball the way he's going, Usman, but if he does make 50 more runs, he sets a record for the most runs made by an Australian in a three-test series. And in case you haven't grasped, we're only two days in to the second test, sorry, one day into the second test. So that is just an extraordinary record for him to be able to set without even having to go to Adelaide and without even to have to, having to play the pink ball. Peter from Sunshine, good morning. Good morning. Look, um, I love watching a masterful innings being put together like Warner has done, but the real game is in uh, see how the apprentices can come back with their uh, with what they've got to show. There's still four days to go. That's a game of cricket. Yeah, exactly. We've got more entertainment to come, and that Perth's time zone is perfect. Kane Williamson, of course, the great hope of the Kiwis. So, yeah, it'd be good to see what he can do. Exactly. Yeah, there's 11 blokes on each side. There certainly yeah. are. And I love the game. <laughs> Pete, he's from Sunshine, and that is his disposition this morning. He put a little smile on my face. I love a positive man. Thanks for giving us a call, Pete. In the 20th century, the sporting landscape was indeed a wide world. But with the advent of the interweb communication and global overpopulation, the sporting universe is bigger than ever. And champions beyond the traditional games deserve their recognition. Presenting the Weekend Breakfast's Glittering Galaxy of Sport. And don't the kids love it? Well, hopefully. We'll find out in a moment. This is all about dipping the cap 
to some people who are doing some pretty good things in sports that we don't usually look at, the hidden sports. We've done Rubik's Cube, we've done mountain boarding, and I am very, very excited to welcome Jen Gibson, the president of the Victorian Quidditch Association. Morning, Jen. Morning. So Quidditch, for those who haven't read the Harry Potter books, this, you've obviously been living under a rock, but essentially in the Harry Potter world of wizards and muggles, they play a game called Quidditch, which is played on the back of broomsticks flying all around the sky. Tell us how it is done in real life. So in real life, you still have a broomstick, Mm -hmm. but unfortunately we don't fly. (sighs) You just run. (laughs) You sure? This isn't some wizard trick you're playing on us. Uh, I'm sure, I'm sure. (laughs) Okay, and Um, so for those who haven't read the books, how exactly does Quidditch work? Well, it's sort of like three games running at the same time. So you have almost like rugby. You have something called a quaffle, which is a volleyball. Delicious. And you're aiming to score goals in freestanding hoops. So there's three at either end. Then you have dodgeball. So you have three dodgeballs running at the same time. And then you also have like capture the flag. So you have someone in yellow shorts that has a tail who's our snitch, and you've got to get the tail off them. So that's a bit like uh, touch rugby in that, you know, you've got to rip the little flag out of their shorts. Is that the idea? Yeah, that's the idea. Oh, how good is this? So we've got a bit of rugby, we've got a bit of volleyball, we've got a little bit of touch footy thrown in. How did you get into Quidditch, Jen? Well, um, the Victorian Quidditch Association does exhibition games at all the conventions. So a couple of years ago at Supernova, a friend of mine said, oh, did you know that Blackburn has a Quidditch team? And I was like... I'm so in. And <laughs> later that week, I was playing. <laughs> I do love it. Of course, it's been immortalised on film, hasn't it? The internship with Vince Vaughan and Luke Wilson, or Owen Wilson, sorry. They played Quidditch in the movie, didn't they? Yeah, exactly the same as that. They're the same rules we play. And there's a league in Victoria. What sort of teams do they have in the league? Do they have names like, you know, the Collingwood, Essendon, that sort of thing? Yeah, so we have the Melbourne Manticores, Man- the current Australian champion. <laughs> yeah, very good. The Blackburn Basilisk. Yes, I Melbourne like it. Unicorns. <laughs> the Melbourne Unicorns. Yeah, from Melbourne Uni. Very good. Um, we have the Monash Muggles. Oh, well, they wouldn't be any good. Muggles are people who aren't wizards, so they couldn't <laughs> compete in Quidditch, surely. <laughs> they do pretty well. Do so they? We have South Melbourne Centaurs, yeah. The really Centaurs, good. I like it. And so yeah. tell me this, is there like a national championship in Australia? Yeah, so it's actually in Victoria this year in about three weeks' time. Three weeks' time. Oh, where, where's it on? It's on at Monash. At Monash Uni, fantastic. Massive. And how has Victoria gone in the past in the Quidditch Championships? Um, up until last year, we weren't really a force to be reckoned with. But last year, out of the top four teams, three of them were Victorian. Fair income. Yeah. So we are the best Quidditch players in the country. Definitely. Oh, well, let's get on board. Let's get on board Quidditch in Australia. Here's something we can win at a bit like the cricket. Jen Gibson, thank you very much. Uh, just what's the website for people who are interested? Uh, QuidditchVictoria.com. The president of the Victorian Quidditch Association, Jen Gibson, thanks for joining us. No worries. How about that? I'm going straight to the cleaning cupboard now, getting my broomstick and getting into training. Hyphen, you going to play a bit of Quidditch? I'll watch from the sidelines there. Uh, <laughs> well, mate, last week you were saying you didn't want to come to my birthday party, so getting you to watch me play Quidditch is something. Fantastic. Hey, yeah, send us a tweet at Seb Costello 9 if you've got any sports that you think we should cover in the glittering galaxy of sports segment. We've done Rubik's Cube, mountain boarding, and now Quidditch. Well done, Jen. That's fantastic. And a bit of imagination never hurts. Taking something out. <laughs> Look at Hyphen. You are losing it over there, mate. No, I'm fine. I'm okay, fine. very good. 
He used to dominate down there in the back line for the Kangaroos. He now dominates on the airwaves as part of the M's. Nathan Grimer, good morning. Good morning, Seb. And uh, <laughs> never dominated down back and definitely not dominating here, mate. I know my role here. I... Uh, I bring you in a coffee every week. Not once have you offered to buy me one back. And no, then no, that's a very good to point. To cap it all off, of, uh, I had to bring in a roll of uh, synthetic turf today for Triple M for a love job as well, for a promotion really? they're doing. Because so, uh, you've, got you've got a business that does synthetic turf, don't you? Yeah, I'm actually on the tools today at Eston North Primary doing a bit of their yard for uh, endless turf, synthetic uh, turf. So... Uh, yeah, my life as a footballer is uh, long behind me now. So I do a little <laughs> bit of uh, I do a little bit of synthetic turf, and I work three days at the footy club. And uh... I heard about this. I, so we talked last <laughs> week about how I ran into one of your best mates, uh, Big Hamish McIntosh, down there at the races, and we're talking. And oh, yeah, Nate's a good bloke. He does the radio show. He's great. And then home goes, and it's great that he's got this job at North Melbourne. And I said, Yeah, it is. Knowing nothing about it, <laughs> you kept that one from me. What are you doing down there? No, so three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. This is going to sound pretty pathetic. But when you haven't gone from nine to five in a work day for eight <laughs> years, oh, I'm that tired late in the day. But uh, yeah, no, you I... would be that guy in the office that sneakily eats everybody's food in the fridge. That sort of just goes through it and says, "Yeah, I'll take that sandwich, that tub of yogurt. That's mine." That uh, is a real no-no. no. No, I'm I'm definitely uh, I'm not arrogant, but I guess over the time at North, I didn't probably give the admin staff uh, much of my time during the day, and now I've become admin staff. And, oh. Um, it's coming back, is it? Yeah, and the boys, uh, the boys, when they come into the club to, to do some training in their break, just they laugh at me, and they've set me up on this little desk that uh, it must have been the only bit of space left at the club, and I'm a pretty big man, and they've sort of wedged me in there, and it's uh, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely it's a, it's a bit of a shock to the system, but it, it is a great footy club, and uh, have yeah, they I'm in the sort office? of enjoying it. Have they played in the office pranks that year? No, I haven't. To get their own back? No, no. I am a bit of the coffee boy, so it must just be a common theme. I get the coffees every day and trying to endear <laughs> myself to, to my new colleagues. So uh, I'd encourage the North Melbourne admin staff to do that. Maybe wrap up big <laughs> Nate's chair and glad wrap or stick a little pin on it, something like that. No, no. But it's, uh, it is, it is, it is, it's funny. When you finish playing um, any sport, I guess, yeah, you sort of look forward to the next next chapter, so you say, and, and then you actually go into that next chapter and... Uh, yeah, I've had a shocking week. I've had an absolute shocker this week, and uh, I what wish happened? I was back playing. Actually, uh, I got asked to go down to Launceston, uh, to where I grew up, to yep. talk at a junior sports night on Tuesday, which, which I was happy to do. Yep. I, no one wants to hear me talk these days, so I jumped at the what opportunity. Are you, what are you open with? Is there just some sharp little gear that you open the sportsman's night <laughs> up with? Not to 12-year-old kids, that's for sure. No, I, uh, a little yeah, bit of, you know, I'm, what do you call a lady with one leg, Eileen <laughs> sort of stuff, that kind of gear? No, no. When you say the first couple of things and it, and it goes over their head, you just got to kind of backtrack out uh, pretty quick. But no, I flew with Jetstar. Uh, I'm not sure if we've got an alignment here. With, There's with, nothing worse with than Jet- that, actually, when you think that you've got a gag that is just going <laughs> to absolutely kill with the kids and they look back at you like you've said something that refers to the era before iPhones and they have no idea what you're talking about. No, It's, it's a great leveller. Um, yeah, and <laughs> yeah, so me, I, I was flying with Jetstar down to Launceston. And oh, yeah? I flew down there on Tuesday, and I've flown a hundred times with Jetstar, not with Jetstar, but down to Launceston. And yep. I wandered down to, to the, uh, I checked in online, wandered all the way down to, to about gate 40, which I was flying out of, and I realized there wasn't too many people there. So I, I asked the lady from Jetstar uh, where the flight to Lonnie is, and she was she told me that they'd actually changed terminals that day. And yeah. Oh, yeah, this was, was Monday termi- or Tuesday. Yeah, 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 Tuesday in Terminal 4. So I said, oh, any chance you could just radio maybe the, the desk and say, I'm, I'm going to try and get there as quick as I can. Well, and, well, well, you put the hard word on the Jetstar lady to say, just bring the jet around to gate 40 <laughs> if you wouldn't mind. Who are you, Bronwyn Bishop? Uh, no, but anyhow, so, I've, uh, so she said no. 
So after a couple of explosives, <laughs> I, uh, I threw the bag over the shoulder. I haven't ran since I had my back fused. I had a pair of jeans on and dress shoes and I took off. It was raining and I oh. ran all the way to Terminal 4 and uh, rock up and uh, they just closed the gate. Uh, and she said, uh, we, uh, we would have texted you to let you know it had changed. And I was thinking to myself... If you'd text me, would I sit near ring and wet, sweating, crook back, you know, and now have to sit around in a new terminal for four hours for, for another flight. But I learnt my lesson never to fly uh, with Jetstar again, but got down there and, uh, and told a few, few stories to the kids and hopefully they do as I say and uh, not as I did. Oh, I'm sure they'll be inspired. A new generation of Taswegian footballers will get out of this function and come over and play AFL. It's got me thinking, though, have you ever made a mistake while travelling? I'd love to speak to somebody who has done what you've done but rather than miss the flight, has ended up in a destination completely different. Horror travel stories, travel mix-ups. One triple three five three, or Twitter at Seb Costello nine. You've got Twitter, don't you, Nate? Yep. What's uh, your Nathan handle? Nathan Grimer seventeen. Uh, at Nathan Grimer seventeen. <laughs> We're talking about your horror travel stories. One triple three five three. Give us a call. Many people have had a flight changed gates on them. Few people have had a terminal changed on them, like happened to Nathan Grimer on Tuesday, who is in studio with us. Rob at Mont Albert, you've had some problems uh, on the travel. Tell us the yarn. Oh, I have indeed. I've, um, I think I hold the record for being the earliest person ever to check in for a flight. <laughs> I like where this is going. How early were you? Well, I got there and uh, you know went up to the counter and the girl said, uh, "Oh, you're a bit early, aren't you?" And I said, "Oh, you know, what two hours, two and a quarter hours?" She goes, "How about one month?" <laughs> so oh. I was fly in March, but I'd booked it for April. Oh, were you able to get on the uh, on the flight on that day? Well, I, I said to her, "There's two choices. You can put me on the flight. Otherwise, I'm going to notch up such a bill in the Qantas Club for the next month. <laughs> you might as well charter me a jet." And she took one look at you and said, "No, nah, we've found one A for you, Rob." Yeah, absolutely. Get him out of here. <laughs> Magnificent. Thanks for your call, Rob. There, one triple three five three. Keep them coming with your horror travel stories. Remember once uh, I had to meet my parents. We were over in the UK, and I was supposed to meet my parents in Edinburgh, and. There was this massive storm. How's this? There was a storm that was so big that even trains couldn't run. That it was too dangerous to put trains on tracks, which they're right. basically glued together, as we know. So I ended up having to get a ferry over to Dublin. I can't remember where this ended up. The ferry was the most hellacious trip you have ever done. If I recommend, if you ever go to Ireland, don't go anywhere near a ferry because the winds and the rain and the rocking is enough to just shake a milkshake without a blender. It is too awful, awful to do. Now, well, the Grimers, we didn't have to worry about going to Edinburgh for family holidays. We'd just uh, pack up the eight-man <laughs> tent was, and go up was, the lakes. And, it was uh, the one that we got after you know years and years of being apart, yeah, busy careers and oh, all that, I bet, I bet. and we decided to spring for a little bit of a oh, European vacation. Now, I, uh, when I was in Miami a few years back on yeah. end of season footy trip with the boys, my uh, my grandmother passed away, which was which was pretty sad. Oh. So I wanted to get back to to Launceston uh, for the for the funeral, and we actually had a fairly fairly big night the night before. And uh, the Grimer got, clan? No, nah, this wasn't the Grimer clan. No. This was a few of the North boys. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, missed the flight back uh, from Miami to to uh, to LA to get back for the for the funeral. But. Uh, uh, yeah, a few logistic nightmares later, and um, you know, I finally got back. But uh, yeah, it wasn't wasn't a great feeling. I would have felt pretty low on on myself if I, if I'd missed that funeral. That's for sure. Yeah, uh, exactly. No, the uh, open line is lighting up here, Nathan. You've touched a little bit of a nerve. We're going to get to Darren in a moment. Anastasia, just hang on there. Mate, your bucks is coming up. <laughs> didn't you get the invite? Uh, well, I'd like to just make a point that no, I didn't. 
Another awkward moment at the races with Big Hayne when he goes, oh, mate, uh, you're looking forward to going to Sydney for Big Grimer's Bucks? Uh, look, no, actually, uh, I didn't know anything about it. But no, how many blokes are going? I've got, uh, got 22 guys going oh, up there next weekend. 22. Um, could probably do a live cross up there at 7.30. <laughs> I'll probably, uh, probably be, uh, hadn't been to bed by, by that stage. But no, I, uh, I'm looking forward to it, actually. Um, yeah, got a few of the North boys coming and a few Tassie mates. And uh, it should be uh, – it's always a bit nervous when you get other blokes' mates together for the mm. first time. You just uh, hope that everyone gets along. But uh, Was no, Sydney your first choice or was that negotiated down with a beautiful descender? <laughs> It's pretty funny. We uh, we confirmed we we're going to go to Vegas yep. and uh, and talked up a big game, and then Jacinta had one stern word with me, and uh, we're going to back as Marsh almost. I'm not even engaged, and I've already, I've already had that conversation with the beautiful Brie. We're not even engaged, but uh, I did float the idea of a Vegas Bucks. <laughs> I think everyone's floated an idea. Of a, I'd love to know the stats for how many people have floated a Vegas Bucks and how many have just uh, not gone to Vegas. We should do a poll, shouldn't we? Morning, Darren. Okay, Sam. Nice to you, Hey, mate. Um, yeah, I'd organised a trip to um, go to Tasmania, just um, on the spirit of Tasmania, with my pregnant wife and daughter. Um, we packed the car, we spent the day at the park and had lunch, uh, got on the line to drive the car up onto the boat. Then here we are, sitting in the line, and um, the wife looks at the ticket that we hand him and he says, Sorry, mate, you got the wrong day. Oh, <laughs> no. And you're in the queue, what, with about 300 cars behind you? <laughs> Thousands of cars behind me, <laughs> all in front of me. I'd already handed over the, you know, the gas bottles and the grogs. <laughs> oh, no. Not uh, you turned friendly. I wouldn't have thought I that line to the uh, spirit. Yeah, so he's, uh, he's sitting there off and, uh, yeah, very disappointed everyone was. Oh, uh, mate, what, so they didn't let you on? No, no. You've got to come back tomorrow. So they had to make a pass, move all the cars out. Oh, the that's a bit stiff. Come on, spirit. Yeah. Daz, thanks for your call. Worth the wait to get I would have just kept driving, wouldn't you? Anastasia joins us on three. Morning, Anastasia. Good morning, how are you? We are Thanks. sensational. Tell us your travel yarn. <laughs> um, in June uh, this year, I was heading off to Las Vegas and nice. I was on the um, flight that was around... someone's getting to Vegas. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> um, I was on the flight, um, uh, we're waiting about 20 minutes. They said, oh, we've got a bit of a um, small engine fault. Mm. We took off anyway. Oh, Dumped good. fuel over Canberra because they decided we actually have to land. We were grounded in Sydney for about seven hours. And um, we decided to take off in the exact same plane um, oh, with the exact same issue. Um, an hour and a half into that flight, someone had a heart attack oh, and we had to veer off love. into Auckland. But um, there was a, luckily there was a doctor on the plane. He said, oh, we don't have to, um, you know, he's come back to, we'll just get him straight to Las Vegas. It turned out Perfect. that he was um, that he'd OD'd on something, oh, and no. they um, they caught him in Las Vegas. So what is in the, <laughs> what the police caught him? Yeah, they um they actually stopped him in America, so they thought oh the American laws are a bit tougher. So what he, he was <laughs> so, smuggling something, you think? No, no, he actually took something. Oh so, gosh! Yeah, yeah, it was pretty scary, but um. 36 hours later, I was in Las Vegas. Well, I think you deserve to drink after all that, Worth Anastasia. Well done. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, Anastasia. Well. Apart that? from that one. How about that? The bloke That's is horrible. Gone into no D on your... Mm. My goodness. Anyway, well, thank you for your trouble. Yeah, it's 13353. Nathan Grummet, where are you going? Eastern North Primary. Yeah, going there today. There's sure. a bit of turf down for the kids. Is at, that at a white extremely, turf if you're in the area? Extremely great rate. So uh, we're all about helping kids out. So. You see a suspicious man about <laughs> six foot four wandering around Eston Primary. Yeah. Call police. Stranger danger. No, no, <laughs> uh, definitely not. So yeah, it should be good. Actually, get on the tools today and just continue my new fun life. So uh, it's perfect. Well, mate, we'll speak to you next week from King's Cross on your Bucks Day. Yeah, ring me.
me up, actually. It should yeah. be. I don't think I'll ever work on radio ever again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Nathan Grimer, good to see you again, Have mate. Have a good weekend, guys. Excellent. And don't think going to Sydney gets you out of buying me a coffee next week. Tomorrow, UFC 193. Over 50,000 people filling up Etihad Stadium. They're looking to break the record, the all-time record when it comes to the UFC, which would be pretty cool considering the main event are two very, very impressive women. Female athletes dominating in that sport, which is great to see. We're catching up with both of them on the program this morning. But let's start with the challenger who joins us here at Triple M HQ. Holly Holm, it is great to see you. How are you finding Melbourne? I love it here. I've been once before to Australia which not here, it was the Sunshine Coast up in Malooluba, and it was awesome as well. So um, Australia's it's definitely not going to be my last time here. I'm going to keep visiting. I love it. Fantastic. Well, maybe you know you come back for happy memories of victory if Sunday that's, goes well. That's exactly my plan is to just go in there and, and make all this hard work worth something and, and walk out with a win. Now, Rhonda obviously gets a lot of attention wherever she goes. Does that suit you just fine? Oh, that's just fine with me. Yeah, I don't mind. Um, she's done a lot and accomplished a lot and very deserving of all of her achievements. Um, you know, she's she's worked hard for where she's at. But people need to know that you are a superstar in your own right. If uh, people are still coming to know you, you are a multiple division world boxing champion who's now trying your hand in the mixed martial arts space. Tell us a bit about your career for those who are just familiarizing themselves with you. You know, my amateur career, I only had eight fights, but I did kickboxing and then uh, couldn't really, we had a hard time getting a fight. So uh, we, a local promoter, which is Lenny Fresquez, which is, he's now my manager and my agent, really. Uh, we've been dealing with him for years and years. He's been great, but he had a fight going and it was just boxing. And my coach said, hey, I think we got you a fight, but it's going to be just boxing and it's going to be pro. And I was like, oh, so I can't go back to amateurs once I turn pro, right? And he's like, nah, but let's just go for it. So uh, my first boxing fight was actually my first pro fight and it wound up just taking off and the opportunities were there and I found this new love for boxing and instead of just kickboxing and, you know, it kind of turned into a great career and in, in between fights I would throw on my shin pads, have, you know, spar a little bit, kickbox a little bit and uh, my whole boxing career, I've trained out of the same gym that I'm still at. It's been out of a MMA gym, and um, I just found a new love for MMA. I wanted to make the switch, and now here we are. Have you found the training any more exhausting than boxing? Of course, both are notorious for, for the conditioning that you have to have to take part. So MMA is more exhausting for sure, mm. uh, especially mentally. There's so many different things <laughs> so many different details um the only thing that's i think a little harder in a boxing fight the only and not harder but just different is when you're in round eight nine ten and your arms feel like they weigh 100 pounds because that's the only thing you can use to you know hit them with it's kind of oh i still have to punch them but my arm feels like it weighs 100 <laughs> pounds you know and you you have to keep you have to keep going and and you can kind of feel like you're stuck in sand sometimes with that but um there's kind of a all around body exhaustion with um mma it's just different my arms don't hurt as much as they do in boxing <laughs> but but it's just different 
Well, that's one thing. You've got to make sure uh, you keep your arms away from that notorious armbar that Rhonda oh, yeah. likes to use. Have you thought about that? Yeah, oh, oh, of course. I've thought about that. I mean, anybody on, on the, the street knows that she's got that. So if we overlook that, that'd be silly on our part. So um, I definitely don't want to be the foolish fighter. I want to be prepared for everything. So we've put a lot of work into the, you know, the armbar and uh, and everything else that comes with her game. So. Mm, I can feel your confidence. You know, you've got uh, you, you you've come here to win. Obviously, I have I come mean, here to win. <laughs> <laughs> goes without saying. I uh, I spoke to Rhonda earlier in the week and I asked mm-hmm. her what she would do if she was victorious on Sunday and how she might celebrate in Melbourne. She's a big fan of hot wings, so we had a bit of a chat about that. Oh, awesome. Have you thought about how you might celebrate? Should you be world champion come Sunday night? You know, I don't I don't ever think about the celebration until the hard work is done. It's a mental thing for me. Um, I will say that over the last four years, maybe five years, every victory I have, I go eat some good food and I go back to my room and it's about, you know, going to be like three or four in the morning and I take a bath. (laughs) (laughs) Just wash off the victory. And and I shut the door and I don't let anybody walk in. I don't care who's, if friends are around, it's like, I just need a minute to take a deep breath and take in this moment. I can imagine that would be necessary, especially after Sunday when you're going to be standing in front of 50, 60, maybe even 70,000 people. And we certainly wish you all the best. Holly Holm, thanks for joining us on Triple M. Thank you. I appreciate it. From one of the fiercest women on the planet to a little mouse, Nerily Meadows from Fox Sports. Good morning. One day I'm going to bring in my boxing gloves and I'm just just going to end you right here you and there and how, take over of the show, the rest of the show. How unimpressive you are as Holly Holm passes you in the corridor. It was, <laughs> you know, it's like seeing the, the, you know, the king and then the lowly uh, peasant. I'd like, I'd like to, <laughs> it's got called a peasant. I'd like to point out how, yeah. how lacking you looked, like a withering little boy. Mm. Yeah, well, she can, she can fight. She's impressive. You you are so in love with these women, mm. aren't you? It's I, good I, to have I, women role models, though. Yeah, it's good that they're right. strong women who are doing well in their field, and I'm I'm happy for you. Something for you to aspire to do. Be a UFC champion? No, at no, no. Stadium. Be good in your field. <laughs> That was quite good for you. Well done, Sam. I'm almost like a pro- <laughs> My job is done. You have succeeded. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Thank you, Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> Luke can now go out there. Hey, you have been following the cricket. You were over there in Brisbane for that dominant opening to the series. And one thing that worried me in the lead up to this Perth test was those comments from Mitchell Johnson where he said he's still sort of considering his future. He even said, you know, he could retire potentially after the Wacker test. Is it really on the cards? Yeah, look, it definitely is. He really thought about giving it up after the Ashes and then he decided to go around again. I wouldn't be surprised at all if he finishes at the end of the West Indies series. There's a potential there that because there's two return tests in New Zealand that maybe he'll want to play those as well. But I don't know. I I think maybe he'll finish up on home. So he is 34 years old. It is tough. And I think Mitchell Johnson is also one of those players who would not want to stand in the way of the younger bowlers coming through. And we know there are stacks of them in the Aussie fold at the moment. So I think he may look and go, you know what, it's it's Mitch Stark's time to be that one left armour in the team and, and do the job and then the other boys can start coming through because as blokes like Jimmy Pattinson come back and hopefully get fully fit, Pat Cummins, you know, there's so many of them in the fold at the moment that he won't want to stand in their way. We were talking about travel stories before and 
from cricket to travel and back to travel again involving a cricketer, but there's something developing at the moment involving Sachin Tendulkar. This is brilliant. Sachin Tendulkar, with his 8 million followers on Twitter, <laughs> yeah. has uh, has basically tweeted to British Airways just saying how disappointed and frustrated he is with their service and that they couldn't get his uh, family on a flight, essentially, and that they sent the luggage to the wrong destination. Oof. British Airways responded with, at Sachin Tendulkar, we're sorry to hear this, Sachin. Could you please DM us your baggage reference, full name and address, so we oh. can look into this for you? He no idea who Sachin Tendulkar is. Just give us the address, please, little master. Just quietly. His 8.4 million followers really got stuck into British really? Airways. Are there any of the fans who've sort of stepped in to educate BA? This is my favourite one out of all of them. Mm-hmm. Rajesh of everything. Well, hey, Rajesh. British Airways, you have 772,000 followers. At Sachin Tendulkar has 8.4 million. Does that tell you something about him? Fall at his feet, will ya? <laughs> the man is extraordinary. <laughs> Fall at his feet. I like that. Have you ever been in the vicinity uh, of a famous person on a plane? Oh, actually, I was on the same plane as Kevin Rudd from Brisbane the other <laughs> really? day, which was quite interesting. Um, how, he was, was he, how was he treating the hosties on that flight? He, <laughs> he was smiling to all the passengers, uh, uh, that's uh, for He's sure. learned his lesson, that's yeah, good. Yeah, that's for sure. But I actually had a funny one with my uh, mum a few years ago. We were waiting in the airport and we were our flight was delayed because it was struck by lightning. Mm-hmm. And so we were sitting in the cafe in Perth and then alongside us was this Stephen Bradbury. And I was like, Mum, that's Stephen Bradbury. Australian having, gold medal having, hero. Exactly. Having lunch right next to us. And then a few moments later, uh, over the PA goes, Mr. S. Bradbury, Mr. S. Bradbury, will you please board your flight? You are the last man to board this flight. We are waiting on you in order to depart for wherever it was. Can you please come to the desk? And Stephen calmly gets up, puts the paper down, walks to the uh, the gate, and and off he goes on his flight. And me and Mum just looked at each other, going, "He lives his life that way." <laughs> when everyone else is done, he just comes streaming through. There you go. They couldn't find a seat for Apollo. I oh know, but they found one there for Stephen Bradbury. Hey, have you ever been on a flight with a famous person? One triple three five three. Give us a call on the open line. Twitter at Seb Costello nine. Have you ever been on a flight with a famous person? When I was following the Hain plane around San Francisco, I was waiting at the baggage gate and the hostess brought down somebody who was wearing a baseball cap and a coat and everything. And I'm thinking, you know, obviously maybe this man has been told to leave the airport because, you know, he doesn't have a proper ticket or because he looked quite disheveled. Then he sort of put his head Takes back. Takes to no one. <laughs> yeah, look, yeah, we won't go into that. And I, uh, I saw who it was. He took his cap off and it was Jason Siegel. From How I Met Your Mother. So as I was getting on the flight, because he went on first, he was in the first sort of seat, I uh, was kind of wandering down and I'm thinking, you know, do I I say hello? What do I do? Do I say something? And then in the end I did. I went straight to him and I said, Jason, you are hilarious. My girlfriend loves you. And he goes, great, great. That's fantastic. Yeah, good. In his mind thinking, who is this lunatic from Australia who's hit me up on a flight? But it was a bit of a thrill for, uh, for, uh, for myself. Oh, there you go. I was waiting for a punchline, but it never came. But good story, Sam. Yeah, well done. Look, I've got to workshop that one. <laughs> we'll find we'll find something there. Uh, we've got Dave on the line from Templestowe. G'day, Dave. G'day, Seb and uh, Marilee. How are you going? You ever been on a flight with a famous person? Yeah, look, it was uh, 91 and um, I flew from London to Milan, I think, to a golf tournament and I was beside Brett Ogle. Oh, yes. Nice. On the way, did you talk golf? Oh, yeah, yeah, I chatted him. Well, I was actually catting, you know, not for him, but catting at the tournament he's going to. But, yeah, no, I had a, had a good chat. Good Magnificent. Chat. Thanks for the call. Tim's at Narry Warren. You ever been on a plane with a famous person, Tim? Yeah, well, I did a cricket tour with the Fanatics a couple of years ago. We're awesome. going Antigua Barbados. We get to the airport, 
there's the Australian cricket team, there's the West Indies cricket team, there's the umpires, there's the media, there's everybody, and we're all on the same flight. Who was uh, ordering the most beverages on that flight, Tim? No, very quiet. Oh. Short turnaround, so it was a very quiet flight. Uh, not wanting to name any names. I like that. What happens on the <laughs> flight stays on the flight. Thanks for your call. We'll get to Maddie and Anne in a moment. One triple three five three. Have you ever been on a flight with a famous person? I was on a flight with Jason Siegel once. Narrowly was on a flight with me. Um, <laughs> give us a call. We want your nomination. Maddie, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Sensational. Good. Name uh, names. Okay, we were in Auckland waiting to clear immigration and I heard a familiar voice behind me. I turned around and it was Joel and Benji Madden. Oh, how cool. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Good Charlotte. Yeah, so, and there was no one with them. So no security guards, no entourage. And we said to them, you know, how do you guys go doing this all the time? And they said they're just like anybody else. They're going to do their customs and immigration things. So, yeah, they were really gracious and... Um, I asked him for a photo, he took a photo, and yeah, they were really good guys. Very good. Like to hear that. See, twins yeah. are so used to getting odd looks anyway that it doesn't matter whether they're famous or not. I think twins are the best thing ever. Mm, yeah, that sort of allows them to get away with singing Lifestyles of the Rich and the Famous <laughs> and ragging on celebrities if they're just cool guys in the airport queue. I like <laughs> that. True. There's Anne. Anne, uh, who were you on a plane with? I am on a plane with Justin Bieber. Oh, what? You win. <laughs> <laughs> it was that famous flight from Sydney to Melbourne where he was carrying on like a brat and the hostess had to tell him to sit down because he was acting like a child. <laughs> That's exceptional. What was he sort of, What were the things that he was doing? Oh, he was just being an absolute brat. <laughs> and then they got him off the plane in Melbourne and the girls were just screaming and screaming and my husband thought he was a celebrity because he told the girls that he spoke to his father. So he was like a celebrity. Oh, that's <laughs> so, so funny. funny. That's fantastic. And <laughs> next time that happens, one triple three five three. give us a call straight away and we'll break the story. That's great, Anne. <laughs> Thanks for giving us a call. Nez, you have a big breaker. week ahead of you as always. You'll be looking at the cricket. You'll be, I mean, yeah, you pop hoping, up. And... I'm hoping that Adam Voges actually gets a bat uh, mm. on his home <laughs> deck. And yeah, he, he may not at this point. Poor old uh, Neville. There was a, quite a funny one from Adam Rosenbach, who's often mm. on Triple M, tweeted yesterday that the bat sponsor wants his deal back for Peter <laughs> Neville because he's just never going to get in there this summer. They kept showing shots of Steve Smith last night saying, you know, why'd you put yourself at four? Yeah, totally. Because <laughs> he was waiting a fair amount of time. Nerily Meadows, good to see you again. Thanks for having me. We do like to put a smile on your face on the weekend breakfast. It's Saturday morning, the weekend's beginning, but in these circumstances, there is a serious situation developing abroad, which we do need to tell you about. It's just happened moments ago, an attack on a bar in Paris, several casualties, according to the French media. From what we understand, and this is still incredibly fresh, at least one man has opened fire with an automatic weapon at a restaurant in the 11th district. Joining us from Triple M News, Nicole Gunn. She's been following the story from the moment it happened. And Nicole, what more can you tell us? Well, as you said, Seb, this is just minutes old. We've heard from Paris that a man armed with an AK-47 has shot up a bar in the 11th District Bar Restaurant. A BBC journalist has reported seeing at least 10 bodies on the ground. Now, whether their victims or they're seriously injured. We're not sure. This is, as we said, this is all just coming in. There's also reports of an explosion at the Stade de France, which is north of Paris, yep. where France was hosting Germany. 
uh, Francois Hollande, the um, the president. We're not sure whether he was at a football match. He's going back to Paris. And, of course, this comes just, what, 10 months after the Charlie Hebdo attack where we had 12 people killed. Yep. Now, they're not saying any connections as yet, but you have to draw your own conclusions. Someone armed with an AK-47 shoots up a, a bar restaurant. We've got reports of other incidents at other locations, including the, the stadium north of Paris. This is really personal for me, Gunnis. You mentioned Charlie Hebdo, mm. uh, and my cousin Maisie, her husband, was shot in Charlie Hebdo. Mm. He had a bullet go through his neck, and he's been working on a rehabilitation to get himself walking again since that happened. Fortunately, he survived. Obviously, members of his workplace didn't. And yeah, I'm just thinking of them at the moment. Mm. This has happened oh, so yeah. soon after. Mm. Attack on a French bar, number of casualties. Gunners, thank you for that. We'll keep you obviously updated as soon as we get anything more out of it. Gee, yeah, more details coming. Triple M Newsroom, all over it. We'll get back into some things more likely to put a smile on your face in a moment. Situation developing in Paris that we have to keep you on top of. Unconfirmed reports now that up to 18 people may have been killed in a number of attacks across the French capital. We do know that at least one man has opened fire with an automatic weapon at a restaurant in the 11th district. There's also reports of explosions near a soccer stadium where France were hosting Germany and that perhaps the French president, Francois Hollande, was watching that match. We understand the BBC is reporting that he has been moved to safety. And also some reports of another situation potentially involving hostages, all unconfirmed at this stage, but certainly there has been a shooting in the French capital. We'll keep you across that and we're endeavouring to chat to somebody in Europe who can bring us up to speed. This all happening within the last half an hour. Right. Here in Melbourne, though, over the weekend, there is some cause for a bit more uh, light and a bit more positive news with the UFC 193 taking over Etihad Stadium on Sunday. It has been converted as we speak at the moment with the octagon being put in. And the big name who is headlining that event, of course, is Ronda Rousey. She is a one of a kind, one of a generation athlete who is leading that sport as a woman, which is terrific. She's also making her way in Hollywood, starring in films like The Expendables. She was also in the Entourage movie, of course, uh, taking on Turtle in that. And I had the opportunity to catch up with Rhonda earlier in the week as she prepared for her fight against Holly Holm tomorrow. Here's how it went down. Well, Rhonda Rousey, it's great to have you back here in Melbourne. Thank you. I want you to explain to us right off the top, what is a DNB? DMV is a do-nothing bitch. <laughs> so many people ask me for a definition all the time. Um, I think a do-nothing bitch is the kind of woman that, that uh, doesn't contribute to society at all and just uh, expects to be taken care of. So a lot of the... It kind of is more inspired by the real housewives of everywhere generation that we've kind of been seeing and idealizing that kind of woman. And I think um, I think ambition should be idealized and not, you know, buying things and being dramatic. Mm. And you're in the middle of you know making weight at the moment with with fight week. How tough is that? Oh, it's fine. Yeah. It's easy now. You know, I have a I have Mike Dolce working with me. He's my nutritionist, mm. and he does my whole weight cut. And just it takes all the guesswork out of everything. And it's so nice to be able to delegate that task to somebody else. And so I just like he just shows up at my door with food. I'm like awesome. And I'm <laughs> yeah, I never go hungry ever. And um, 
we only do like you know as little dehydrating as possible at the very end and um, I really have learned a lot of what I've done like improperly throughout so many years in judo it was just like guesswork and I didn't have any help and and now it's just like a streamlined part of my training. I was actually reading about your pre-fight diet uh, in preparation for the interview and you're making us look backwards again because I read that you get some of your omega-3s from hemp seeds. Mm-hmm. Now it's actually illegal to sell hemp seeds as a food in Australia. I can't believe that. <laughs> it's, it's the boy version. First of all, I mean, I don't, hemp is like, it's like one of those miracle plants. Like you can make clothes out of it, you make paper out of it, you, the seeds are good for you. It's medicinal, everything. I mean, I don't know why everybody has against it. If you actually look back into it, there's a lot of like propaganda between like the hemp and cotton industry that is really the source of all of it. Mm. And it's really amazing to see how effective like 100 year old propaganda still is this day. So we've changed the cages. Hopefully we can change the hemp seeds as well. Yeah, right? <laughs> step by I, I want to be able to make my oatmeal right. <laughs> yeah, well, that's exactly right. Hey, I was reading your book and I loved the bit where you were talking, you know, you and your mother were discussing coaches and how every coach, you know, will have something different that they can teach you. And, you know, the lesson there I guess is to be always learning in life and always challenging yourself further I'm sure you get this a lot but will there come a point where the world of MMA is uh, is something that has challenged you so far and you're going to have to take the next step have you thought about the post fight career uh, yeah I've thought about I've thought about it a lot I mean and MMA being such a young sport and having so many disciplines involved in it it's a lot harder to master mm. I think than any other sport so I think that uh, my body will probably um, be used up before my, my, my brain gets bored of it. Um, but I thought a lot about it because I don't want to make that same post-Olympic mistake that I made where I was so obsessed about the Olympics and it was all I thought about that afterward I realized I put no thought into it and I had no work experience, no education. And, you know, what am I going to do with, with that? Just an Olympic medal, no one cares. And um, so that's why I've been spending a lot more time on, on um, you know, my movie career and other stuff like that and trying to think about okay, I could, theoretically, I could just retire and just live off the money that I have, but that's not what I want to do, you know? I want to find something to, to challenge me. I need to, um, I need to find something so I'm not one of those fighters that tries coming back for another thrill when they're 50. And um, so I wanted to be able to start from zero and start from, you know, trying to master a skill that I have, n- I know nothing about, you know? And um, I'm, there's something really fulfilling about being a novice and being in pursuit of something that seems near impossible and that's I think going to be my my next near impossible endeavor. We've loved you in the movies, Entourage of course, The Expendables. Have you thought about what your dream role would be as an actress? Um, I would love to be uh, the grown-up BB in Kill Bill 3 and Dragon's Back with Tarantino. <laughs> that's, that's like my dream, dream yeah. role. And then, um, yeah. But I, my fingers aren't crossed, but they kind of are. How do you plan to uh, celebrate in Melbourne if you are victorious come Sunday night? I have researched all of the um, the best hot wing places in Melbourne because oh. people were like, there's no hot wing. We don't they do don't it. Have hot we don't do it that good. Where would you go? Liars. <laughs> I went on Google and it was like, the best hot wings in Melbourne, Melbourne hot wings. There's a whole like Reddit like thread on Is all that? the hot wings in Melbourne. Oh, jeez. Yeah. I hope we live up to the American standard. Um, You know, we'll see. <laughs> I, I think I have like several places planned out. So I'm going to like go hopping from like one wing place to another. And then, um, yeah. And I want to find some cider beer. Mm-hmm. Cider oh, we've got beer plenty of that. That yeah. we're okay with. Yeah. Okay, awesome. That's like my new favorite combination. It's like the sweetness of the cider beer and then like the saltiness mm-hmm. and it's cold and it's hot. I just like, you know, like 
the temperatures. We just gotta. I, I, I've pretty much been like daydreaming about that for like a couple weeks now. You're making me hungry. <laughs> know, right? I'm hungry just talking about it. chunky blue cheese. They have to be naked wings, yeah, not talking. breaded. Yeah. You know, so. If you don't have a recommendation for me, I'm just going to have to go from what I've seen on Reddit, but we'll see. Rhonda Rousey, she is an absolute gem, and tomorrow will be a spectacle. Over 50,000 at Etihad Stadium. Two very, very significant developing situations overseas at the moment. Bring you this first. If you were following the Russian doping investigation over the week, you would know that WADA over the last 11 months have been looking into allegations raised by a German documentary into the Moscow laboratory in charge of testing Russian athletes and into the behaviour of Russian athletes at the London 2012 Games. Some of those allegations were damning, that up to 1,500 samples had been destroyed, that Russian athletes were given a warning as to when they were to be tested and that they had in fact gotten out of anti-doping tests. Well, breaking news, the International Association of Athletics Federations has temporarily suspended the Russian Track and Field Federation due to the ongoing doping scandal. It means Russian track and field athletes will be banned from competing in all official engagements. More details coming, but what we understand at this point is that the suspension is a three-month suspension and as so, wouldn't cover the upcoming Rio Games, which was what some people were calling for in sport. A three-month suspension to affect Russian athletes competing under the banner of the Russian Athletics Federation in all IAAF-sanctioned events. Details coming in on that breaking situation. Meanwhile, a far more serious and tragic set of circumstances in Paris. We told you earlier today that there was an attack on a bar in Paris and that several casualties had been reported. From what we understand, at least one man has opened fire with an automatic weapon at a restaurant. Simultaneously, there appears to be a number of other attacks. I'll stress we don't know any detail as to who is behind this. Nobody has claimed credit for this. and We don't know the motive here. But in addition to that restaurant shooting, there is also reports that a, a theatre has been taken hostage by people who are armed. This is a, an old opera theatre in the Chinese architectural design in Paris, and that also that explosions were reported near a soccer stadium where France were hosting Germany. We also understand from the BBC that the French president, Francois Hollande, was attending this soccer match and that he was safely evacuated, but is being assessed as we speak. Nicole Gunn, Triple M News, they'll keep you abreast of both of those developing issues coming through from overseas. A rather serious way to end Triple M's weekend breakfast, but thanks for joining us. Thanks for having a laugh with us. Thanks for all your calls and tweets. Thanks to producer Mikey Barrett, Dave Collins with the audio, and of course the hyphen pushing the buttons. It's 13 degrees at 2 to 9. Triple M's weekend breakfast with Seb Costello. See you next Saturday.